Hello, my lovely ladies. I'm so happy to have you back this week. Have you ever felt like, am I crazy? Is he a Abusive. He's so mean. I feel like I'm just walking on eggshells all the time with him and I don't understand. I don't know why he's always so angry. I'm always in trouble. I don't even feel like I did anything. I just don't understand what's going on. If that is you and you've ever questioned whether or not you might be in an emotionally abusive relationship, and even if you haven't, then it is still very important episode. In fact, this particular episode is probably going to be one of the most important episodes I've ever recorded. This is really our responsibility as community members, as women who love and support each other. It's really going to be important for us to be able to see some of these signs, not just for physical abuse, but really this covert emotional abuse that is, uh, you'll hear the episode so widely spread. I'm breaking up the episode into two parts. This is part one for this episode, part two for the next one will be released just the day after. You'll see in the show notes there is a wealth of information. In the second episode in part two, she gives all the resources, where to find her. She gives all additional resources. So let's just jump right in. sitting in a marriage that feels empty, struggling to connect with your husband, maybe you're telling yourself you're just sticking it out for the kids and what really keeps you in the marriage is God. If this is you, I've been there. My story is your story. I want to help you reconnect in marriage and feel cherished again. Hey, I'm Beatrice, a Jesus-loving wife and mom. I've been married for 15 years, but for the past 10, I've actually had the affectionate and connected marriage I've always dreamed of. What happened the first five years? Well, I was busy telling my husband all the things he was doing wrong, like how he needed Jesus and he needed to make me happy. We tried marriage counseling, small groups, all the things we were told that would make our marriage better nothing worked and we separated how did i turn it around well that's what you'll learn in this podcast proven skills to communicate better create more intimacy and be a grace-fueled wife so if you're ready to finally communicate effectively with your husband so you can stop fighting and be on the same team again this podcast is for you now grab that journal and let's jump right in Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Grace Fuels Wife podcast. I am here with my amazing guest, Annette Altmans, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about who she is and why she is here. Annette is the founder of The Mend Project. She was a victim of emotional abuse while seeking the help of professionals and first responders. She experienced double abuse in the form of spiritual and institutional abuse. These harmful encounters compelled Annette to conduct extensive research into all forms of abuse and best practices for treatment protocols. Her relentless pursuit for a solution brought her through a journey that involved interviews with hundreds of victims and survivors. She uncovered common threads that caused the victims prolonged confusion about their abusive experiences, as well as what ultimately led them towards healing. 
Her journey also involved interviews with hundreds of faith-based leaders and therapists, which led her to discover that most are untrained and ill-equipped to proactively help victims of covert emotional abuse. Out of Annette's research and personal experiences, she created the materials the MEND project uses to educate and equip victims and first responders. She consulted with experts in abuse, trauma, and healing to ensure the materials are aligned with best practices and the highest professional standards. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Annette. It has been uh, a dream and a goal of mine to get you on this show for quite some time, as I was saying before we hit record. I've already been sending your information out to my guests. So thank you so much for your time and, and being here with us today. Well, it's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yes, thank you. The reason I wanted Annette to come and talk to us today is because, you know, I tell you guys all the time, I'm here to help you in your marriages and help you reconnect with your husband. But the one thing that I have really a boundary, kind of a hard stop for me is around this subject of abuse because so many clinicians, even trained clinicians or just professionals out there are not equipped to handle a client who is in an abusive situation. And so I always try to make sure that I stay in my lane and I wanted to bring on an expert for you who can really talk to us about what abuse is. And I'm going to go ahead and guess that of my all the listeners that I have, that there's probably a good portion of you who are wondering, questioning, sitting there going, but am I in abusive relationship? Am I crazy? Like, you know, what's going on here? So Annette is going to let us know. And so Annette, why don't you tell us in your own words, why you're here, what you do, let us know. Okay, sure. I, you know, really when I went through my abusive marriage. There was no physical abuse. There was no raging. There was no loud name calling or anything like that. It was what's called covert emotional abuse or covert narcissism. And it's hard to find resources and information on this topic that's comprehensive and that's helpful. It might just say the word narcissism and list things that define narcissism, but that really doesn't help me. I'm not a diagnostician. And so I really needed to have the behaviors laid out for me clearly. And so many other bits of information that are helpful for victims to have in order to move on to the healing process, whether they decide to stay or whether they decide to leave. So I wanted to create a website for all those women that couldn't afford therapy to at least gain clarity of their situation. So then they could tap into some nonprofit resources like domestic violence agencies and so forth. But before that, what we say is clarity is the first necessary step to healing because before you have clarity about your situation, you don't even know where to go. Statistics show that they will go to a pastor or any faith leader, or they'll go to a therapist. But so often those individuals aren't trained. So they give advice that's actually harmful, like pray more, submit more. Why do you say the things that aggravate your spouse? And they start putting the responsibility on the victim when in reality, nothing can be resolved 
in a relationship where emotional abuse or covert emotional abuse is present without first snuffing out the abuse. It needs to be uncovered, identified, and resolved with reparations before anything else can get resolved. And in most cases, once the abuse is resolved, if it can be resolved, depending on the willingness of the abusive partner, once abuse is resolved, the other problems just fall by the wayside because that was the core of all of their problems. So that's basically it in a nutshell is I also wanted to train therapists and faith leaders. And so we've recently been authorized by the American Psychological Association to offer continuing education units for our curriculum. And we're doing that and we're speaking in conferences all over the country. And we're also training churches that reach out to us we were pursuing churches and I'll tell you, it's really difficult to break through. They think they know everything about everything, but some churches are really eagerly wanting to do it right. And those are the ones that we have been helping. I love that. There is so much we're going to talk about and get into. So thank you. Thank you for that. Because A, guys, did you hear Annette has created the thing for women who cannot afford therapy, like right off the bat. That's such a noble, beautiful work that you do. The other thing that I heard that was really beautiful is you're right. For me, someone who's training as a clinician, we are taught that at least today, that if there's any sort of abuse, then, you know, it requires a different set of training, like a different several set of expertise, but not all therapists out there have been taught that way. And not all therapists would be doing the kind of thing that I'm doing right now, who's saying like, what you said about clarity coming first, I 100% agree. When I teach my course, clarity is our first lesson, like our first module. And even before we get to that module, I say, if there's any sort of abuse going, you might as well click off right now, I'll give you a refund because... (laughs) Like, I'm not going to move forward. And so what I'm doing for you guys is saying, here is someone who is going to get help you get that clarity first before you can move on to anything else, because it is so true. There's no way to go ahead and have really have any healing if you are going through this emotional abuse. And we're going to talk about all of that, like what that looks like and whatever. I think some of the important things that you talked about were the fact that a lot of times the abuse is covert, right? So if you look up narcissism, I did a whole episode on narcissism and like, you know, diagnostically, what does it take to be a narcissist? And what covert narcissism is, is different. It's like, it doesn't actually meet all the criteria, but that doesn't mean that it's not abuse. And so those things are really, really (laughs) important. So I want to make sure like we get into all of that because I I want the listener to, to leave this episode really feeling equipped. So my question for you is, I will start with what you said, the pastor and the counseling. You stated it beautifully where the wife doesn't know where to go. And so she goes to her pastor or she goes to a counselor 
and she gets contradicting information, let's say, and she doesn't really know what to do. And I have a whole episode on why I have a problem with pastoral counseling in general, even though, you know, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I love all that, and I love God's word. But there's really something to be said about people who are properly trained. So what can you tell us about what you see happening about the double abuse? Sure. First off, I think it's really important that women who are or men who are wondering if they're in an abusive situation or are usually what they're wondering is what is wrong with me? Am I not lovable? Why are we having so many communication problems? Maybe I don't know how to communicate effectively. Um, and they blame themselves because they're empathic and they're collaborative and they're reciprocal. They have that natural desire to want to connect emotionally, to want to have a healthy relationship. So they're willing to look at their own faults. But the problem is, is that they're taking on too much responsibility. It really isn't their fault. If you think, am I going crazy? I know our argument went this way, but he said, I never said that. Or he said, I said this, but I don't think I ever said that. And you think you're going crazy because there's gaslighting and multiple other behaviors that you never can reach, um, you can never reach a solution or resolution. And so a woman will go, and, and I can talk more about that later, but to answer your question, um, a woman will go to a pastor or a therapist wanting to solve the relationship problems. And they are willing to confess things that they think they may be doing wrong. Like maybe they reacted to what was technically abusive and they're blaming themselves for the reaction, for yelling, calling him a jerk or something like that, when really that is a minor problem compared to the bigger issue. Um, anybody would react because they're traumatized. Abuse that is habitual over time actually causes most women or men who are being abused, but it's mostly women, to develop post-traumatic stress disorder, and they don't even know that they have it. Mm -hmm. And so- what I really like to focus on and why I call it double abuse, when you go to a therapist who says, well, why do you say things that are going to aggravate your husband? Things like that, which are completely inappropriate because the way the husband responds is his responsibility. He doesn't, just because you say the wrong thing, doesn't give somebody else license to react in a way that's abusive. And so this subtle way of laying the responsibility on the victim or like couples therapists will often treat it as a mutual responsibility problem, which creates a lot of problems because it's not a 50-50 or 100 or 100. Even if it was 80%, even if the therapist said it's 80% your husband's fault and 20% your fault the husband who's abusive will focus on that 20% as though it's 100% of the problem. So really the therapist has to be equipped to understand they need to align fully with the victim and simply focus on the abuse. And that really can only be done by speaking to the victim privately in her own session and then speaking to the husband or having the husband have a separate therapist that the victim's therapist collaborates with it's a very specific set of protocols to be able to deal with that because otherwise what happens and it happened to me and it happens to so many women that I interviewed, it's such a problem that most people I interviewed had been to several couples therapists for years at a time and abuse was never identified. 
because the husband will distort the truth. He'll take a shred of truth, a thread of truth and distort it. So now the victim is defending herself, trying to say that's not what really happened. And the entire session is wasted on her being in the hot seat, defending herself rather than getting to the underlying core issues of what's really going on. Like, why would he falsely accuse her? Why would he distort reality? These are all things that abusive people do. Um, they shift the blame. They don't take responsibility for any fault. They try to always lay the responsibility at the victim's feet. And so when the therapist jumps in and gets stuck in the minutia of that conversation, it's actually really traumatizing for the victim because they might not have the words to articulate what's actually happening, but they feel it. Their body is being traumatized. And when a victim is actually trusting a therapist to define what's happening. I mean, they're actually looking up to that person. They perceive them to be a person of authority yes. or leadership, just like, like they would have passed or they presume that they are knowledgeable and educated. So that double abuse trauma can happen even if there's a perceived view that they're knowledgeable, because it's like, if you were to go to a police officer and ask him for help, that you're in dire need of help because someone has um, carjacked you or done something to you, assaulted you, and he dismisses you, that's going to be much more traumatizing than if you just go up to some stranger on the street and they dismiss you, that you don't have an expectation that they're going. So it's like the disparity yeah. between your expectation and what actually happens that determines the amount of trauma you're going to experience. Mm -hmm. And so this is the last thing I want to say about double abuse, but when a pastor or a therapist inadvertently or intentionally, in some cases, doubly abuses the victim and they already have post-traumatic stress, it can exacerbate their post-traumatic stress into complex post-traumatic stress, wow. which is a much more serious form of trauma to heal. And that's because if you think about it, a pastor represents your community. Let's say you're really involved in your church, your friend group is there, your children are involved in youth group. And your whole identity is wrapped up into that. And then if the pastor judges you and doesn't support you and tells you you're not being a submissive wife or tells you that you're antagonizing your spouse or so many other things that they say that is incorrect, it actually compounds the victim's trauma because they lose their sense of identity. They're now being judged by who they look up to that represents their community. And if they are mischaracterized in their community, they lose a sense of identity and it creates a lot of fear and anxiety, which means trauma in a person who already has trauma. And so it's kind of a long drawn out thing that I won't be able to get all into today, but it's really it's all good. Yes. No, I, um, I appreciate you saying it because I think it's really important for the listener to understand what could happen if you know, they go to a therapist who's not trained or they go to the pastor. And I think what was really beautiful, what, how you talked about is that, um, so I'm saying for you, listener, this is going to be some of your red flags. You're sitting here talking to a pastor or talking to a therapist and you're feeling like they're dismissing you and you're feeling that sense in you that something is still not right, then that is going to be sounding to me and you can correct me and that if I'm wrong, but that's sounding to me like that's going to be part of your indication that maybe yes. you need to find 
another resource. And exactly. the other thing I thought was really important about what you were saying is because in a lot of cases of covert abuse, the spouse distorts the truth, you may be in a situation where the therapist may be trained, but because the spouse is distorting the truth, they're not picking up on what's actually going on. And they may be trying exactly. to ask all the right questions, but they're not picking up, which is another reason why I like to see wives alone, specifically, like, you know, before I, I'll say, okay, I'll meet the, you know, I'll give you guys some marriage coaching now, I'll meet you both, right? I have offered that to clients before, but to me, it's really important. Like I want to talk to the wife alone and, you know, so she can feel completely comfortable saying, these are all the things that happen. And that's why in a lot of conversations that I have right from my first like free discovery call, that's why I even offer that because right away I say, you know what, this is not something that I feel comfortable helping with because I'm seeing a lot of red flags here and I send them to your resources. So this this is why um, I'm here recording this episode for you yeah. guys. So you can know. So, okay. So that's how. So what happened to me and what happens to so many victims, this is not, my story is not unique by any means mm -hmm. is that I was so traumatized, but I didn't know I had PTSD. Mm. And so I became reactive because when you have PTSD, and you're traumatized, you experience some form of emotional abuse, your body goes into a fight, flight, freeze, or appease response. And my response sometimes was fight. And so I would stand up for myself and I would be frustrated and I would try to make my point. And this would happen in therapeutic sessions. And instead of recognizing the signs of trauma, my frustration, my response that was intense and my hands were shaking and my voice was shattering and my thinking was fragmented and I had a hard time communicating my points. Those are all signs of trauma that the therapist should have picked up on, which is evidentiary information that there is something more going on here. Yeah. While the abuser sits there calm, cool, and collected, and will just distort the truth. Basically, they're just lying or falsely accusing and gaslighting the therapist in you, they stay calm. And so they look like they're the in control normal one. And the victim who has trauma looks like the unstable one. And therapists are not, if they aren't thoroughly trained in post-traumatic stress and abuse, they don't pick up on those signals yes. and they mischaracterize, they miss therapy. They miss the entire situation. And the same thing with a pastor who particularly in patriarchal complementarian churches where they have a patriarchal stance that the woman needs to submit, they are ill-informed that they have a responsibility in a complementarian church to say, okay, women, because at the men project, we don't judge whether you want to attend a complementarian or an egalitarian church, but we say, if you're a complementarian church, you need to define the exclusions for submission. You need to say you are not required to submit to sin. You are not required to submit to abuse. And abuse is this, and define what abuse is. Emotional abuse, verbal abuse, but define it specifically with the behaviors so that victims know that there's something wrong. And all the submitting, believe me, they've already submitted for years. They've tried everything under the sun to try to reach and connect with their spouse. 
and nothing has worked because it's abuse. And so just to give her more instructions rather than giving the abuser accountability is doubly traumatizing. Wow. Wow. Like I'm sitting here nodding my head like, yes, yes, yes. That I think it's so good. So I really appreciate you even uh, bringing that up, the difference between a complementarian and an egalitarian church and how there are exclusions to submission. Because I'm sure there's plenty of my listeners who believe that. Like, oh, but, but the Bible's word says that. That's totally fine. Nobody is arguing that point. It's just uh, to understand that that is not a license for abuse. That doesn't mean that you have to sit there and be subject to abuse. So with this thread that we've gone on now, so we've talked about, you know, some of the issues that we might have with an ill-equipped therapist and certainly issues with an ill-equipped pastor. And understand this, guys, pastors may have the best intentions. They don't mean you any harm, right? They're trying to do the best that well, they can. Some do. I'll some say, do. Like right. church, like John MacArthur's church. <laughs> so forcing submission and to even stay with your abuser um, and they teach it in their seminary. That, that is intentional, but most pastoral yeah. harm is inadvertent. Right. Thank you for that clarification. Um, but the point I want to make about the pastors is they're not equipped. They're even less equipped than the therapist. At least the yeah. therapist is clinic clinically trained. So in, in my particular program, I'm going to a program that's also a seminary. So in my particular program, there's, you know, maybe 50% of the students are also pastors because they recognize as a pastor, I need to have this level of training, but that's very few and far between. There's one program in the entire country that does that. So for the most part, whatever pastor you're going to is as well as they mean. We all love our pastors. They're great. They're the leader of our community. They're just not trained. And so this is not to say anything bad about the pastors or even the clinicians. They're just not trained. So the purpose of this conversation is to be able to identify when I'm dealing with somebody who maybe is not trained and maybe have some better yeah, uh, resources they, to go to. They're probably well-meaning. I mean, they're in a servant field. Yeah. But I love when you said, if it doesn't feel right, if yeah. you feel dismissed or it's not sitting well with you, it probably isn't right. Yeah. So listen to your gut. And victims are so used to being beaten down that they don't, they've lost confidence in their perception, in their objectivity. So they are less likely to question authority than somebody else would be. Yes. And so we really want, but I think- before we go into too much more, I think I uh -huh. need to define what abuse actually Awesome, because I was literally just going to ask you that. I'm okay. like, before we go any further, I really want to make sure, because now we've talked about that a lot, I really want to make sure not only like define abuse, so that's going to be our, our first, um, but also I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking like for the person who's like, mm, is this really abuse or did he have a bad day? Right. So like maybe we start with defining abuse and then helping them to discern, because I think that's that's kind of the hard part. You know, like a lot of us might be married to men who are like, he's kind of a cranky guy. He has a lot of a bad days, but I don't necessarily feel abused. Right. And so I want to talk to her as well. So please define abuse for us. OK, organizations that are professionals in this field and have been for many years, they define abuse as twofold. There's psychological aggression, and then there's physical violence. And in the category of psychological aggression, 
it gets a little more complicated. And some of their examples, I, some of your listeners may have heard or seen the power and control wheel that is published by um, Duluth in Minnesota. It defines psychological aggression. But the thing I don't care for about that is that it uses really extreme examples like he threatens your pets or he injures your pets or things that aren't going to happen in the majority of cases. Let me say that covert emotional abuse is the common thread in all relational abuse cases, whether it's child molestation, workplace sabotage, domestic violence, you name it. That is the relational core cause of or justification of abuse. And so I like to break down psychological aggression into two categories. There's overt emotional abuse, which would be name calling, raging, loud put downs, things that a victim is not always, but is more able to say, hmm, something's wrong with my spouse. But in the second category is covert emotional abuse. And that's the confusing manipulative behaviors that are hard to name, they're hard to identify, and that means you can't properly confront them. So victims are stuck in these prolonged states of stressful confusion, thinking, why is my relationship so complicated? Why is my relationship so toxic or so difficult? Um, they have different definitions of the relationship, but they don't define it as abuse. And so at the men project, we spend a lot of time clearly defining what covert emotional abuse is. And I'd like to just give you a couple of examples, but to encourage you to go to our website, because we have a comprehensive list of terms and definitions that define abusive behaviors. And this is the clarity that when I show this list, to people who have been languishing for years, trying to get couples, getting couples therapy and never receiving answers and just feeling so stressed and overwhelmed. When I show them this list, it's as though a light bulb immediately goes on and they realize, oh my goodness, I'm dealing with somebody who has an entirely different way of interfacing uh, or of viewing how relationships should function. So common behaviors that you'll notice in a covert abusive relationship is chronic defensiveness. So you raise a reasonable complaint concern, or you say something they said hurt you and they get defensive. And in that defensiveness, they will dismiss you. They'll minimize it, say, oh, you're too sensitive. They may gaslight you and say, I never said that or your brain is playing tricks on you if you think I said that, or they will blame shift. They'll say, well, if you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that. Or they'll say, no, you did this. They'll try to switch the focus around. And so what often happens is in the conversation, they may lie to you. They may play the victim and say, well, you did this and I'm actually the one who's hurt because, or why are you attacking me? This talk about hurt feelings, listen to what you just said to me, just for raising a complaint or concern. And they have this sense of, well, I'll go into that in a minute, but they will also, if you hold a boundary, they'll retaliate. They will refuse to take responsibility. They might take responsibility in a minor way by saying, well, I'm sorry, but it never translates into tangible change. It never has 
the makeup of what repentance is, where you turn away from that and you don't repeat the behavior. They'll undermine you, maybe even in public. You know, you don't want to eat my wife's cooking. It could be something as subtle as that, but it's these little put downs that constantly wear you down and degrade you. Um, they may withhold affection. Some abusers are pursuers and they will harass you while they're raging. They'll follow you around the house and other abusers are passive aggressive and avoidant. So they instill the silent treatment where they won't speak to you for days or weeks at a time. There's no two situations that are like they will, there's abusive forgetting where they promise to come home at dinner time and they say, oh, well, I forgot. Um, and that's a pattern that goes on over and over or broken promises. I promise that I'll do this moving forward or I'll change, but they don't follow through. That is a classic sign of an abuser. So I've mentioned um, many of these behaviors. There's so many more though, that we don't have time to go into. Of course. When these things are happening, um, they're often happening in one conversation where multiple behaviors are being employed. So it causes the victim to be so confused because if you consider, if he only lied to you, I mean, think about how drastic um, it affects your level of trust and emotional safety in a relationship if you are married to somebody who lies on occasion the lie could be a big lie, like about finances or things. And it just really undermines your safety. And it's really not tenable. It's not sustainable. But if somebody is employing multiple behaviors, so let me back up. When somebody lies, you're able to identify, okay, this person lies to me. Or let's say somebody minimizes you constantly, but they don't do anything else. They're always minimizing what you value. You're able to identify they're always minimizing what's important to me. You, you will ultimately be able to draw that conclusion. But when multiple behaviors are at play, you don't know what's happening. You're not able to identify the patterns. And so that's what causes the post-traumatic stress, the high level of stress and confusion and unresolved conflicts. The abusive spouse is unable and unwilling to resolve conflicts in a mutually beneficial way. And so I know I'm, this is a long-winded answer, but I think this is important. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, we have an illustration that we use at the men project and it's mm -hmm. the image of a maze and the maze is a metaphor for a conversation. And if you think of a maze, a maze has a myriad of dead ends and only one pathway through. And so at the men project, we say that pathway through represents a healthy conversation. It's mutual listening. It's mutual clarifying of the issues. It's mutual respect. And even if you disagree with each other, it's still mutually respectful. And each party has a sense of curiosity. There's mutual curiosity. I want to understand what's going on for you because you're willing to advocate for yourself and for your partner to have a mutually beneficial solution. Even if one person loses the argument and one person wins, it's still both people feel heard and respected. That's what a healthy conversation will um, look like. But in an abusive situation, you raise that reasonable complaint or concern and all you get are dead ends. You are stonewalled. So mm -hmm. in one turn, it's blame shifting. In one turn, it's a false accusation. In one term, it's minimization. 
or lying or they might catastrophize and blow things out of proportion. But the point is, is that every turn is a block, is a dead end. You're stonewalled from ever reaching a solution. And so issues go unresolved for days, weeks, months, and years at a time. And so many victims that I have interviewed and that I connect with through the MEN Project have been in these relationships for decades before they're able to identify that the source of their problem is covert emotional abuse. Wow. So you're not alone if you've been in a situation like this for a long time. It's very common. It's extremely confusing. Even if you're highly intelligent, if you don't have the proper language to define these confusing behaviors, you're not going to be able to identify them. And that's why we found that clarity is the first step to healing, because once you can really identify, then you can know what your next steps are going to be. But if you can't even name or understand what's happening to you, how can you go into problem solving mode? And instead you just are internalizing all these feelings of being minimized and blamed. And it just causes post-traumatic stress, which even further compromises your ability to cognitively think clearly. Right. Wow. Thank you so much for that. As you're talking, I've had like have all these things going on. And I think what you pointed out there was really important. So thank you for the illustration of the maze, because once you provided us with the illustration of the maze, I was able to say, okay, I see the difference. I can see the difference now when my husband's having a bad day and like, he was kind of cranky. He was kind of this, he was kind of that. And because you're right, I might hit a wall and then course correct. And I might hit another wall and course correct, but pretty quickly we get through to having a healthy conversation. Yes. And can right? I just add to that? Because you Go asked a specific question. Yeah. Um, the way you can tell if somebody is abusive or just cranky or has bad habits from their upbringing is that, for example, I used to minimize my children. I didn't know what minimization was. Mm. I was trying to teach them empathy more than self-empowerment, which was a really big mistake on my part. And when I read about minimization and that contrast between empathy and self-confidence and self-empowerment, I immediately corrected my behavior. I apologized to my kids. I explained it thoroughly to them. I gave examples of ways that I had minimized them and I reversed it and gave them a new message and said, I should have been saying this. I should have been saying that I fully owned it. And I immediately stopped that behavior. It was so consciously seared in my mind. That is how, you know, somebody is healthy and wants to grow and be better and not a, a pathological abuser. If somebody doesn't change their behavior or what a lot of abusers will do when you confront, you know, you keep blame shifting me, they might stop blame shifting, but they're going to switch over to another covert behavior because they're still chronically defensive. They don't want to meet you where you are. They don't have a sense of curiosity. Um, And this has to do with the mindset of an abuser, which I'd like to go into, but I just wanted to clarify that. The way that you tell somebody who's cranky or has a bad habit is by confronting, you know, and you can say it and you don't have to yell. You can just say, you know, you just minimized me and I don't appreciate it. Or that was really hurtful. This is really important to me. And you're minimizing something that I really value. Um, And if that person 
is quick to have a do-over, a healthy person who was just acting cranky or harmful will say, okay, let me think about this for 20 minutes and I'll come back for a do-over. Or I'd like to have a do-over, but I'm not ready at this moment. Or they might just be quiet for 20 minutes and come and say, you know, can I have a do-over? Somebody who immediately rectifies the situation. I can live with that. I can live with somebody who's really cranky and says something really hurtful as long as they can relatively quickly say, you know, that I'm so sorry, that was wrong. And I should have said this. Yeah. I mean, we're all imperfect. And so that is what we do. We take responsibility for what we said wrong, but an abuser won't. Um, an abuser. Before we get into the mindset of an abuser, I want to just make a point there because that I think is so important for the listener to grasp, right? And the reason is because it's actually the reason why I chose to marry my husband, because I, I noticed if we would get in disagreements, he would be quick to say, you know what? I'm sorry. You're right. And he would do a course correct. And I realized early on, like, I could work with that. You know, like he may not be perfect, but I could work with that. And for me, that was enough to say, I could spend the rest of my life with a man who's, who's man enough and willing to turn around and say, I'm so sorry, babe, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And then try to course correct. So when I talk to my listener, my clients, whoever on this show, maybe, maybe we haven't worked together yet. And you've heard me talk about giving your husband grace, showing him forgiveness, and uh, maybe changing your approach in how you speak to him. This is where this comes into play. Because if for me, right, so as I changed my approach with my husband, as I like changed the way I spoke to him, because for a while I was an abused person as a child, right? So coming into our relationship, I had a whole lot of emotional, unhealthy baggage, and I wasn't being very healthy in our own relationship. So I was bringing that in. And so when I would talk to him and I would like get all whatever, as I started to change my approach, I started to see that change in him. And this is what I talked to my listener about. Like, if you're doing the things that you hear me teach on the podcast, the things that we talk about in one-on-one session, and you're starting to see a change, then you're good to go. But like you were saying, if nothing is getting through, no matter how, which way you say it, or, you know, there's also a lot there because it's not just about communication skills, right? Because maybe there's emotional baggage on both parts and there's all this other stuff that we can get into that gets really deep. But I did want to make the point for my listeners. These are some of the things you want to look out for. So every time your husband turns around and says, wow, babe, I'm sorry, you know, or wow, like those are the things that we should Yes, we can yeah. hold on to that. And yeah. now without that, so if that's not happening and that can now, can you talk to us about what's going on in the mind of an abuser? I told you this episode was going to be really rich and full of information. Stay tuned for tomorrow's episode for the second half, where we talk about what goes on in the mind of an abuser. What are the four pillars of emotional abuse? We also discuss what the Bible says about submission, oppression, and abuse as it relates to being a biblical wife. And then lastly, Annette gives us a bunch of resources that we could use for this topic. But until then, if you wanted to check out her website or any of her free resources, you can find that at themendproject.com. That's M E N D 
project.com. And on that website, she has all kinds of free resources, a course that you can buy that's very inexpensive, all kinds of things. I pray this has been a blessing to you. I love you guys. And until tomorrow for the next part of this episode. Hey, love, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you found any value in it, any teaching, any transformation, I encourage you to share it with a friend. Click the link, go ahead and share it with a friend, text it to somebody, share it on Instagram, tag me at the Grace Fuels Wife, any of those things, or maybe even write a review. All those things are really the best way that you can thank me, and it helps the show to get found by other amazing women just like you. I love you, and I'll see you on Tuesday for another episode of The Grace Fueled Wife.